If you're listening right now, you're listening to the Side Talks podcast. Uh oh. Where we talk about dumb movies. Uh, yes, we do. Who are you? I'm Corey Kraft. I'm Rachel Morgan. Are you ready to talk about those movies? Eh, sure. All right. Let's well, do it. we Let's have do no it. choice. We, I know. We're, we're in, in the, the studio. studio. I've got headphones on my head. I really want to talk about Taylor Swift for 45 minutes, but we're going to talk about Django Unchained here in a second anyway. Blah, whatever. Let's okay, go. Relax. Hi. I mean, hi. <laughs> Get ready for a five minute fight. Five minute round one fight. fight. Welp, as I just alluded, roll up your sleeves a little bit. <laughs> and I time. know that your sleeves are short. I'm time about, for a five-minute fight. Yeah, roll them up, though, because I'm about to get my ass beat. Okay. The same way that Django gets his ass beat. Anyway, we're fighting about Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained from, do you know the year? 2012. Yeah, that, that, that's about right. Um, Django doesn't only get his ass beat. He beats a fair amount of yeah, asses himself. Yeah, he does himself. beat a fair amount of ass as well. Um, I know that I'm going to lose this argument, but let's get going. Brad, you've started the timer, I assume. Um, yeah, the quicker I can get to this ass beaten, the better. Um, I mean, know? it's a, it's a, you know, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. You, you have on this podcast, uh, episode after episode, made clear your disdain for no! Mr. Tarantino. No, uh, on a personal level and uh, as an artist. Um, <laughs> so. I don't care actually, but I do want to go on the record as saying this. I actually don't hate Tarantino. Okay, I really don't. He's a huckster and a thief. And an all-around son of a bitch. <laughs> but I actually think we need his kind. I mean, he, I think he keeps the movie industry a little more interesting. Now, as long I as definitely as agree. long as he doesn't get me too'd, which I just feel like he's just the kind of dude who gets me too'd. But as long as he's behaving himself and not being nasty, totally Listen. nasty, like some of these other little slime balls, I'm okay with Tarantino. So I don't want people to misunderstand. I do think that that. You know he's done some good work, and I do like his. I do like a lot of his films, and I think he's an innovator. Do not get me wrong. Absolutely, but he is a mashup artist. Yeah, and he is a he is self indulgent, and it's it's just it's gotten out of hand. Um. Okay. Well, when when you say he's a mashup artist, I don't view that as a bad thing. Um, I, I understand that. The, I, I I can agree with that take in a certain sense. It just sometimes it gets too collagey for me, and that's part of my problem with Django Unchained. Well, that's I mean, okay, that's fair. The idea of transplanting the the a the spaghetti western style, right? The um the the scenic vistas and uh, intense violence and gunplay. Yeah. Um, transplanting that to the American South in the era of slavery and making your character. Um, a freed man who goes on a sort of revenge rampage as a bounty hunter under the tutelage of uh, a German dentist played by Tarantino's guy, uh, Christoph Waltz. Um, that's a premise that, you know, you're playing with dynamite with that, right? That's Yeah, he's not the guy to make this film. And, and that I think that's, I mean, that's clearly what Spike Lee said, right? His, Spike Lee like, Spike very much to said see that. This. Spike Lee uh, was offended by the film on sort of absolutist moral grounds. And if that is the position that a person holds, obviously I'm not the person to argue against no, that. No, right? I mean, neither one of us are, really. But in addition to that, I mean, I, he, he did admit, I'm not going to say anything about the film itself because I'm just not going to see it. Right. And that is a tough, that's a... I, 
okay, he can't say anything about the film. I, aside from all, aside from the fact that Tarantino isn't the person to make this film, and I think we can all agree with that, and I don't know that he would get away with making it today. I don't know. Probably. Oh, There's like, what, 104 of the N-words in there? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a little, yeah, not a great, not a great look, dude. I, yes. I, but his bros, his film bros are going to always support his bullshit. Well, I guess I'm one of them. Um, look, attitudes have shifted somewhat uh, about a great many things in the nine years since this movie came out. Um, and I do think there is increased hesitance, if not sensitivity on many matters that, that Django Unchained just sort of jumps kind of blithely yeah. into. But let's put a pin in that because we'll, I, yeah, I have, we'll a, problem, put a, pin I have that. a problem with this aside from that. I tell you, and I have no right saying this comment I'm about to say, because I am not a heterosexual woman who's on Bumble going on dates, okay. but I would imagine, uh, really? I would imagine, no, no, <laughs> I'm not any of those things right now. Um, I don't look, I don't think I'm going to be heterosexual ever, uh, but you never know what happens. I leave room for change in the world. Yeah. Okay? I mean, I the just, clock <laughs> hasn't run out yet. So and I mean, who with knows? hotties like Tarantino out there. So here's the point. I, I, I feel like Tarantino's the dude that like you find on Bumble, you go on a date with him and everything's going great and he's charming and then he just talks too fucking much. And then you're like, hey, by the way, I'm just gonna go home now. That's what this film feels like. It's turned up, it's turned up, and I and it just goes to it's too much bullshit in my face. Too much. Like you, you had me at the first five minutes and the and and a little bit of the you know the good wine you ordered, and now you've just talked yourself out of anything else i'll admit that the film is very impressed with its own style and its influences uh and that would be annoying if i weren't also impressed with its style (laughs) and influences because Corey's the guy who goes home with tarantino on this shit date you know what i would i would hear that (laughs) quentin if you're listening just give me a call bud um because because we'll have we'll have a good night together um now you know i i I just think this film is endlessly rewatchable and entertaining i i love all of the performances i love the screenplay i love how it it takes a bunch of turns that you don't see coming especially in this second half that introduces leonardo dicaprio's just evil bastard um plantation owner uh, I I love, yeah, I love Samuel L. Jackson in this movie, um, who I think is hilarious. I just, it's like a series of SNL skits, all uh, strong together. Yeah, but on it's, the same topic, it's violent and tremendously entertaining, and I I just I love it and Tarantino's whole thing, and I'm basic as hell for it's it. Messy. But it's messy. It's messy. Who gives a shit? Because you call me basic if you wish, but I still have this it's movie on Blu-ray, and I'll rewatch it. Blazing Saddles two point yeah, but do we also we don't need the N word 109 times and this thing's two hours and 45 here's minutes. The and it should be an hour this, and 45. Here's the, too long. the difference between this and Blazing Saddles. Uh, people blow up. It's an hour too long in graphic, violent ways. It's an so, hour too long. No, just like that date I was talking about. It's an hour too long. Sam Quentin, uh, if you want to go on a date, the it, we can go on as long as you want. Okay, <laughs> that'll be two weeks later. I'm gonna mute you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the so, volume down. So is every, so is every <laughs> listener. So is every right. listener, Sam. Um, so I know, okay, Rachel said it's like an SNL skit after time, but I'm still counting it. Um, definitely points for that. And say like plus 500,000 points for the point that he's really just a mashup artist, um, for better or worse. But Django Unchained is definitely just too collage It's uh, too navel-gazing. Um, Crystal, Self-indulgent. And, yes. And Crystal Bolt is the real star here. Um <laughs> But, like, the KKK mask scene with Jonah Hill is just a classic. Um, Tarantino's cameo is awful and just comes really close oh, yeah. to ruining the movie. Um, it's way too long. 
Um, yeah, the N-word count is very worrying. Um, it has its faults, but as Corey said, it's a Tarantino movie, so... Uh, wow, yeah, Corey wins! Oh wow, <laughs> I didn't even get to Tarantino's freaking his, his cameos ruin shit. He's, well, he's really he's, bad. He's ego driven, ego driven, ego driven. I just love how Sam was like, "These are the reasons film the movie bro. sucks." Corey Jesus. wins. Oh, spoken like a true film bro, you bitches, you motherfuckers. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the bullshit wow. I've been talking wow. about. This is the wow. bullshit I'm talking about. What? And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute, with Charlie Brown. In the late 1960s, a B-movie producer, a filmmaker untested in America, and a TV soap opera star got together to make a horror movie. The result was an influential film considered the godmother to every Satan-themed horror film, and interestingly, one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite movies. Today's Movie Minute is about Rosemary's Baby, based on the novel of the same name. Ira Levin. Levin's idea for the novel began soon after his wife found out she was pregnant. Rather than imagine the happiness of the new baby's arrival, Levin considered the opposite. What if the new life growing inside her was a monster? Naturally, he didn't let his wife read his manuscript until many months after their healthy, non-monstrous baby was born. Before Levin's novel even hit bookstores, Movie producers were vying for the rights. Eventually, director William Castle, who mortgaged his house to get the money, emerged as the winner. Castle wanted to direct a prestigious picture, allowing him to get past his reputation for gimmicky B-movie horror features. Among his gags were putting buzzers under theater seats, rigging skeletons to fly above the audience on a rail, and offering a $1,000 life insurance policy for any moviegoer who died of fright in the theater. To fund his potential masterpiece, Castle approached Robert Evans, as in The Kid Stays in the Picture Robert Evans, at Paramount Pictures. Evans saw great potential in the novel and agreed to adapt it for the screen. However, he said the film would be, quote, too good for Bill Castle. So instead of directing as he hoped, Castle ended up as the film's producer. For Rosemary's Baby, Evans wanted an unknown Polish director who had only made one English-speaking film. It was an unpopular decision at Paramount, but Evans was adamant after seeing Roman Polanski's film, Revulsion. As Polanski was a ski buff, Evans hooked him under the pretense of letting him direct a skiing film called Downhill Racer. But Evans told Polanski before he should do anything, he should read this other script first, Rosemary's Baby. Evans' trick paid off. Polanski was fascinated by Levin's novel and even took on the task of writing the screenplay himself. One particular aspect he wanted to convey was ambiguity. The idea that everything happening to Rosemary could be something she was imagining. Despite being pushed aside as a director, Castle forged a good working relationship with Polanski during the production. Privately, he thought Polanski was arrogant, a dictator on set, and worked at a snail's pace, at least compared to the faster, cheaper world of B-movies. When production began running weeks behind schedule, Castle called Evans, volunteering to take the helm to get things back on track. Instead, Evans flew to New York, to caution Polanski to pick up the pace or pack his bags for Poland. A worried Polanski happened to run into filmmaker Otto Priminger and told him of Evans' threats. Priminger asked if Paramounts liked his rushes. When Polanski replied that the studio was delighted with them, Priminger said, Then what do you care? They never fire anyone because of schedule, but if they don't like the rushes, you'd be out very soon. With his confidence restored, Polanski didn't change his style of working. For the leading role of Guy, the husband who becomes involved with the satanic cult, Evans wanted to cast his friend Jack Nicholson. 
Polanski rejected Nicholson, saying he looked too sinister, and requested Robert Redford. For the leading role of Guy, the husband who becomes involved with satanic cult, Evans wanted to cast his friend Jack Nicholson. Polanski rejected Nicholson, saying he looked too sinister, and requested Robert Redford for the part because of his blonde, all-American looks. However, another producer at Paramount served Redford with a lawsuit before Evans could make the call. Later, Redford would star in Downhill Racer, the movie that had lured Polanski to Hollywood in the first place. Ultimately, John Cassavetes, already under contract at Paramount, was awarded the part. Cassavetes was an outspoken actor and director known for his freewheeling improvisational style. He had little patience for Polanski's refusal to deviate from the script or accept any suggestions from his actors. He also saw himself as a more experienced director than Polanski. Tensions between the two were high throughout production. Polanski wanted to cast Hollywood old-timers for the Coven members, but he didn't know any by name. Instead, he drew sketches of each character which the casting department used to fill the roles. One of them, 72-year-old actress Ruth Gordon, would win an Oscar for her part in Rosemary's Baby and resurrect her career playing funny old women in movies throughout the 70s and 80s. For the lead role of Rosemary, Polanski wanted actress Tuesday Weld. When she was unavailable, he settled on her look-alike 21-year-old Mia Farrow. At the time, Farrow was best known for her role on TV's Peyton Place and for being Mrs. Frank Sinatra. In fact, Farrow had promised her new husband that she would give up her career when they married. Over Sinatra's objections, she accepted the role, and when the production ran over schedule, Farrow refused to abandon the project to appear in Sinatra's films The Detective. Sinatra gave her an ultimatum, saying, it's Rosemary's baby or me. Years later, Farrow explained that she came from an acting family who would never quit a project and instilled that same work ethic inside her. It was never in question, she said, of leaving the movie. But Sinatra served Farrow with divorce papers, delivered to her in front of the entire cast and crew. She signed them on set in a blur of tears, ending their two-year marriage. Farrow then threw herself into the production, urged on by praise from producers Evans and Castle, who assured her she would win an Oscar for her role as Rosemary. In one scene, she ate raw liver, even though she was a vegetarian. Another scene where Rosemary walks in front of traffic is spontaneous and genuine. Polanski told her that nobody will hit a pregnant woman before directing her to step into the road. As Pharaoh walked into real traffic, Polanski followed with the handheld camera since he was the only one willing to do it. Polanski also put himself in danger behind the camera for the film's dramatic opening, which includes a vertigo-inspiring high-angle view of the Dakota apartments and tilts even further down to find Guy and Rosemary arriving in front of the building. Cinematographer William Fraker remembered this as a challenging shot. A platform was extended from the building's roof across the Dakota, enabling the camera to face directly down. The first camera operator was so scared of being 110 feet high up in the air that he couldn't confirm if he got the shot. Fraker himself shot take number two but was unsure of the quality, so Polanski tied a rope around his waist and captured take number three. No one knows whose footage is actually in the film. One of the biggest on-set concerns was Polanski's decision to end the film without showing the baby. Castle and the studio argued endlessly with Polanski about it. How do you make a movie called Rosemary's Baby and not show the baby? Polanski had his reasons, saying, Everyone will have their own vision. If we show our vision, no matter what we'll do, it'll spoil the illusion. If I do my job right, people will actually believe they've seen the baby. During production, actor Sidney Blackmer, who played coven leader Roman, often said, No good will come of all this Hail Satan business. He wasn't the only one who thought so. Castle became convinced the film was cursed. Shortly after the film was released, 
he contracted an ongoing series of random illnesses, including gallstones and kidney failure, until his death nine years later from a heart attack. Rosemary's baby composer Christoph Komita suffered an accidental fall that led to a coma, and eventually his death. Then, in the summer of 1969, actress Sharon Tate, Polanski's wife, was murdered by the Manson family. In 2002, author Levin himself confessed to having mixed feelings about bringing Rosemary's baby into the world. His work had played a significant part in all of this popularization of occult and belief in witchcraft and Satanism, he acknowledged, saying, I really feel a certain degree of guilt about having fostered that kind of irrationality. Then he added, of course, I still cash those royalty checks. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic Pizza Hut and Pizza Inn. You know, I've never been to a Pizza Inn. Most folks haven't. Hmm. There's one in like Traveler's Rest, North Carolina. Well, Uh, next time I'm in Traveler's Rest. But when I was a kid, Pizza Inn was rivaling, at least in Texas, Yeah, was rivaling Pizza Hut. Hmm. And uh, I love both. I love both. I'm trying to think of what like the competing pizza was in my childhood. Pizza Hut has... I mean, I'd love for them to sponsor. That would be a great sponsor for us. Um, not as great as Revelator Coffee, who no, sponsors of course. us. But uh, we would take the money from Pizza Hut. But th- boy, the quality's gone downhill. Has it really? Uh, you know, every time they close one of those beautiful red roofs, the pizza gets worse. Well, Stop closing them. That's a tremendous disappointment. The The vanishing of the, the lunch pizza buffet. or like Yes, and know, the personal pan. Or... Or the personal pan, it, you know, just the the seated restaurant part Thank of you. a Pizza those, Hut. Those fake ass Tiffany lamps. Yes, yeah, they're amazing. So there is apparently perhaps a remaining one in Cullman, Alabama, and we're having to drive. My girlfriend and I are going to. Um, is it my girlfriend and I or my girlfriend and me? My girlfriend and I. My girlfriend and I are driving to pick up some sort of a video game situation that she's figured out. Whoa, 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 whoa! I know. We're, we'll we, talk about you, that later. We got to talk about that later. But, video game situation. But, yeah. Like what? She Jumanji? likes that kinds of. She likes this video this like classic video game like you're getting a cabinet she's getting a whole thing yeah that's fucking awesome um i'll let you talk to her about that i don't like video games but anyway we're what i do like though i've, I've been like i'm gonna ride with you if we can stop in Coleman, alabama and go to this pizza hut so i'm gonna i'm gonna bring back some news about that okay. hopefully next yes, week whether please. or not it's still in existence or not um i also want to point out that i am a um well i'm not going to say how old i am but i am very old to be going on a weekend jaunt to pick up a video game system and eat at pizza hut uh, no, I don't think anybody's too old oh, for that. Never too old. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks to Boutwell Studios. Thank you to Revelator Coffee, which we've already said. Yeah, our amazing. sponsor. Uh, and we really appreciate that. Sidewalkfest.com and at Sidewalk Film on social media is where you can find listings uh, about what's going on at the Sidewalk Cinema. A lot of fun stuff coming up. For sure. Bye. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.